1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 18, and uh, you'll find it on the overhead as well, I think. Paul's writing to a church that was in, engaging in civil war. People were fighting against each other. There were Christians who were taking other Christians to the civil courts uh, to get a decision on some dispute between them. And when they gathered at the Lord's table, as we will do later, they were not, not celebrating their unity. They were displaying their disunity. So Paul writes some very strong things to them. And we find some of these things in chapter 11, verse 18. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. But when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should, hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Modern warfare has changed a lot. Modern warfare is uh, more precise, it's uh, laser-guided, it's remote, it's on our screens, it's in our papers, it's on the internet. But uh, there's been a number of uh, helpful, I think, modern uh, artistic representations of the scale of loss that is overwhelming in uh, warfare of the past. You can go up, 
Perhaps we could just draw a curtain or two, that would be helpful. You could go up to the Olympic Park. This has been uh, on display for the last week or so. There's uh, something like 72,000 shrouded, tiny shrouded figures that uh, are there to represent the scale of suffering and loss of uh, World War I soldiers whose uh, bodies were never recovered from the Battle of the Somme. 72,000 unaccounted for bodies just from one battle. You could uh, go to eastern part of London, you could go to the Tower of London, and there you see uh, another modern artistic representation of the scale of loss. 10,000 or so candles that are flames that are illuminated by gas installed in the moat for a limited time. You could come closer to home. You don't need to go to London. You could go to the Ashley Centre. And if you went to the Ashley Centre, you'd see a list of names as you walk in on the, the Waitrose end of that shopping centre that's so close to us. And you see hundreds of names of people from Epsom and from Yule who gave their lives in the greatest cause. I was uh, touched this week by watching one of the BBC's super uh, World War I commemorative documentaries, and uh, Hugh Edwards was presenting a show called We Will Remember Them. I don't know if you picked it up, but uh, it introduced me to a character called uh, Fabian Ware. Fabian Ware. Fabian Ware was uh, overwhelmed by the unique challenges of World War I. The sheer scale of loss was something that had never been, something the World Wars never had to cope with before. Normally, people would be buried where they lost their lives, where they died. And Fabian Ware was overwhelmed with the tens of thousands of people who had lost their lives. And, and so how could appropriate respect be shown to these men and these women, probably men who fought in these great causes? Where would they be buried if they gave their lives overseas? They couldn't be repatriated unless they were part of a very, very wealthy few. And so Fabian Ware was convinced that every man and woman, regardless of their rank or age or stage of life, regardless of their function in the war machine, deserved to be commemorated. They deserved to have a permanent place where people could pay their respects. He was the founder of the Commonwealth War Graves Commission that really shaped the way we remember those who gave their lives in the great wars. Fabian Ware's vision, his tenacity was uh, unique and he was determined to provide a dignified way to remember now 1.7 million people that have given their lives. You can see their names and visit their graves in 23,000 locations around the world in 153 countries. All because of the initiative of a man called Fabian Ware. We will remember them. This passage written to a very messy church, has this key word, remembrance, verse 24, 25. And it's not uh, located on a poppy, as important and as significant as that is. But it's located in a meal that we're going to celebrate shortly, or a supper. In the original language, five times in these short amount of verses, there is a word that describes a connectedness, a togetherness, a gluedness, that a meal and a supper represents. And I want to look at uh, just four of those to uh, make our way through this passage very briefly. What, is this, uh, what does this table represent? What is the communion? What is the Christian tradition? What's it founded on? And why do we celebrate communion? Why do we remember the Lord's death, verse 24, 
25 and 26, until he comes. Why do we do that? Why is every day for a Christian Remembrance Day rather than just once a year? Here's why. Verse 23, first thing of four, communion. Communion connects the present to the past. It connects the present to the past. Look at verse 23 with me. Paul, the apostle, writes about 30 or so years after the Lord Jesus died for the sins of the world. He says, sentence 23, For I received from the Lord, from Jesus, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Immediately, the apostle Paul is following the practice of King Jesus, who connects us with this meal to something that happened thousands of years in the past. There was once a people, the Israelites, they were under the, uh, the heel of an evil dictator. They were in a land that wasn't their own, and they were fighting this terrible battle, so to speak, against slavery and tyranny. And God sent an avenging angel of death to free and liberate his people, to defeat the foe. This, uh, the angel of death was, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, something like the, the day of judgment, the day of God's justice, rolled up in a miniature scale. The angel of God, the angel of death, would uh, administer divine justice and liberate the people of God so that they could worship him and enjoy him forever. In the Bible, this theme of justice is not just you get what you deserve. It's bigger than that. This key understanding of the word shalom is an understanding that's bigger than our understanding of legal justice. It's a means by which God, by his grace, puts everything wrong in the world right. And that's what was happening in this celebratory meal, this remembrance meal, that's spoken of in Exodus chapter 12. But if God was going to send this angel of justice to liberate his people, to defeat his foe, how would God's people survive when this angel of justice came? Here's what God said to them in Exodus chapter 12. He says, every home, every family gather together and have a celebratory, a a memorial meal. You need to find yourself a one-year-old lamb. You need to kill it. You need to cook it. You need to eat it. And the blood of that lamb, which is very precious, you need to post around the doorposts as a sign of your liberation, as a remembrance. And you are to do this in perpetuity. On into the future, in every generation, you are to remember this day this great day of liberation, this almost this VE day of victory, this VE day of justice. It's called the Passover. But look at verse 24. In verse 24, the Apostle Paul says what Jesus says. When he had given thanks, Jesus, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Sentence 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. As soon as Jesus gets his hands on the meal, and when Paul describes what we're to do, what the church has done throughout the ages, he, as it were, rips up what Moses says and redefines it. Did you notice that? Look at what Jesus says as Paul reports it. Verse 24, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to get a loaf of bread. It's going to be unleavened, no yeast in it. But this is my body. This cup, it's full of wine, but this is my blood. And if you know the Old Testament, you're thinking, well, hang on, where's the lamb? 
Moses says there needs to be a lamb. And all the prophets of the Old Testament, the big prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they know the reason why there's no lamb. Because in this moment, Jesus is claiming something hugely important, hugely significant. The reason why there's no lamb, where you can't smell the roasted herbs of rosemary, as I salivate now, where you can't smell the meat cooking, is because Jesus Christ is saying, I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb of God. You don't need to kill any lamb anymore. There's no more ceremony needed in that way. There's no more bloodshed needed in that way. Because when I die, when I go to the cross, I die for the sins of the world. And as he broke this bread and took this cup, he's claiming correctly and audaciously, this piece of bread stands for my body and this cup of wine stands symbolically for my blood. All those lambs, all those kings and priests and prophets that point forward to me because I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those lambs couldn't take away sin. They were there symbolically. Their blood was pasted around. But the Passover points forward to me. And as we celebrate the communion, the the present is connected to the past. Because Jesus says, this is all about me. 2,000 years ago, as we look back beyond the wars, beyond the world wars, as we look back to the Roman setting, the Roman context of the first century, Jesus is claiming audaciously this This meal is about me. I'm the one to whom it points. And I want you to remember my life. And I want you to remember my death. Every time you remember and take this bread and this wine, this grape juice, until I come again. We uh, celebrate this meal between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming, when he'll come to bring the justice of God and put everything that is wrong right the first thing that communion points us to. It uh, directs our attention backwards to the past. But here's the second one. Communion, communion connects your soul to God. It connects your soul to God. Look at what Jesus says again. Paul reports it. He says, this is my body. And he puts something into your hand. He puts a piece of unleavened bread. He says, this is my blood. And he passes you the cup of, of, of wine, of grape juice. And in a startling moment, Jesus is saying, God in me, God is becoming accessible. God is drawing near. What was there in shadow, what was there in type, what was there in kind of predictive actions is now in fulfillment in me. This is my body. This is my blood. And at this point, for 2,000 years, the church is divided. If you're from a Catholic tradition, if you're familiar with that, the Catholic church holds very uh, strong conviction that as you take bread and as you take uh, blood... It actually, or as you take grape juice, it actually becomes the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus. It's, it's a literal event. Something mystical and precious happens. The Protestant church says, no, we don't believe that's true. We think it's symbolic, not literal. Because Jesus says in verse 24 and 25, do this in remembrance. It's not literal. It's a, it's a casting back to the actions of Jesus. Remember what I did for you. And so this key word, verse 24 and 25, on this day of all days, is this word remembrance. Now, as you get to uh, more senior years, sometimes remembrance starts to become a thing that you struggle with. Remembrance is uh, substituted for the word recall. If only I, I'm so sorry, if only I could recall your name. 
If only I could remember who I was. If only I could remember, I say this all the time, where I put my keys. It's a recall. I've forgotten. I just need to remember. And that's, that's far too weak for what the word actually stands for. If we're a little bit gross for a moment, to dismember someone is to remove the limbs of someone. Member means limbs. It means part, body parts. And to remember means to reattach, to sew a teddy bear's arm onto the torso. It means to uh, put back together again in a unique way something that has been broken. These three words, to graft together like a, an arborist would do or a craftsman would do. Someone that wants to graft one rose or an apple tree onto another one. It's a strong word. It's more than recall. It's to take something that wasn't part of your being and make it part of you again, deep in the inner places. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, the significance of this table must not be lost. If you're here this morning, and Paul has a lot to say very critically about the church in the time that he ministered to it, he's saying, if you're here and you're bitter this morning, if you're here and you can't forgive someone this morning, you need to remember the gospel. You need to get the truth of God back into your hearts because it's banging off the sides of your skull. If you're full of anxiety, why is that? Do you believe that Christ gave himself for you? He was willing to lose everything for you. You're so precious to him that he went to the uttermost for you. Anxiety can go to one side. Perhaps if you're uh, full of fear, why is that? When you know God is good and kind and he holds the future and the past and the present in his hands. Have you forgotten the gospel? Is it up here but it needs to come down into your heart? Think once again, drink in his words, taste his goodness. You need to remember the gospel. This is my body, this is my blood. Because the gospel is bouncing off like rain bounces off a, a tin roof. You need to remember, make it part of you again, from your head, from your understanding, into your very person, into your soul, and into your heart. If you remember that connection, it means by faith, once again, as you take the bread, as you take the grape juice, you remember that Jesus Christ is in your life and that we are alive spiritually because of his death. It's the second thing. Communion, thirdly, connects the individual to a community. Communion connects the individual to a community. One of the things that people love about this book of 1 Corinthians, written to the church in Corinth, is that it's a mess. So if ever you're part of a church, or any church is a bit of a mess, it's just a matter of degree. But this one was really bad. It was rotten to the core. And so Paul takes them to task. Look at verse 18. There's tremendous divisions in the church. He says, I hear this. I hear that you're divided. So he writes to them and takes them to task. Terrible conflicts, egos, conflicts legally. Terrible things relationally happening in the church. Call this a remembrance meal. It's a mockery of what it should have been. Now, why is he so strong in his words? Like us, the uh, communion meal, the remembrance meal, would happen towards the end of a church service in the first century. But different from us, you would bring your own food. You would have gone to uh, Asda, if, where it, to exist, or Little or Audi, or whatever it was, Sainsbury's at the time, and you would bring your own food. And if you were wealthy, you would bring a lot 
says Paul. If you were poor, you would bring what you could. But it was so out of whack to what the Lord Jesus instructed that people were getting drunk. People were not waiting for others to bring what they needed to. They were just gorging themselves. Here is a meal about the unity that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, it's the very opposite. You think this is the Lord's Supper? It's not. You've completely missed the point. It's a community meal. You should be sharing, but you're scoffing. You should be sharing with those in need, and you've forgotten it completely. It's become self-centered rather than others-centered. It's a community meal, not an individual meal. And look at verse 29, as he gets even more warm under the collar. He says, if you eat and drink the cup of the Lord like this, you're bringing judgment upon yourself. Now, why is he so upset? Because for Paul, the gospel is at stake. For Paul, the gospel is at stake. And the gospel is that you are saved by the work of Jesus, utterly, to the utmost. It's not what you do, it's what he's done. It's grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's all on him. And by faith, we place our trust in what Jesus has achieved. Fabian Ware remembered this. He leveled the playing field. He leveled areas so there could be significant war cemeteries around Europe. But notice as you see these vast cemeteries, there's not one gravestone that's larger than another, is there? There's not one in gold and one in uh, just a wooden cross. They're all the same. He leveled the playing field and said, every person from the private to the general, they're worthy of dignity. They're worthy of respect. And so poor and rich alike, you're buried side by side. You die together, you serve together, you're buried together. And the Apostle Paul is saying, remember the gospel. It levels the ground. No room for pride here. It's humility because of the grace of God. If you have these divisions, if they even show up in the Lord's Supper, how dare you take the bread? How dare you take the cup? Because it's about unity in the gospel. The grace of God erases pride. Or it should do. And then we get this tricky sentence, verse 30. Because you've done this, some of you have gotten sick, and some of you have even fallen asleep. That's the word for death. Now, what does that mean? When you've given your life to Christ, all the punishment that we deserve, God's righteous judgment for our sin, goes on Christ. We are without condemnation. It's all fallen on King Jesus. We no longer pay for our sins because we've said we cannot do it ourselves. Lord Jesus, please take my life and make it yours. But we share, Christians share the struggles and troubles that there is in the world. And sometimes, in a very vivid way, God brings those sufferings to bear in the lives of individuals or in a church as a whole to wake them up spiritually. And that's what I think that sentence means. And practically, this means Relationships are really important in the church. Unity is significantly important because it's a sign of the power of gospel as the people come, to, people come together from different ages and stages and colors of skins and different parts of the world to form a new forever family. And if you've got an unforgiving heart, that's an unforgiven heart. You can't forgive. Well, how can't you forgive when you sense the forgiveness that you've received? And Paul is saying, if you pick up the bread and if you pick up the cup and you've got someone that you have not forgiven, you need to remember again. 
You need to repent and remember that you've been forgiven much in Jesus Christ. And you need to make a commitment, perhaps even this morning, to not take the bread, to not take the cup, first of all, if you're not a Christian. But to not take or not take the cup or the bread unless you make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to ask for strength to go and forgive someone, to make it right with someone. If you say, I'm not prepared to do that, you don't know what they've done to me, you don't know how they've hurt me. And Paul says, you're not ready to take the communion. An unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. Finally, fourthly, communion doesn't just connect us to the past and the present, but it also is future-focused. Look at sentence 26. Sentence 26, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, when is that going to be? In the future. And when the Lord Jesus comes, he's going to come with a supper, with a meal. Right at the end of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. And there's a wonderful few sentences that I remind you of. It says this in Revelation chapter 21. John says, the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. See, it's a meal again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, he says, I'm making all things new. It's a meal, do you see? It's a, a meal, it's a supper that uh, this small, inadequate table points us to unerringly like a big neon sign. In that day, all the longings of your heart will be satisfied in Christ. All your sadnesses will be forgotten. No more emptiness, not just a supper. This is pointing to the final supper, the, the meal where wars will end, where tears will be a distant memory. This is uh, just like an hors d'oeuvre of the meal that will come with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a symbol, as we remember the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension, that God is utterly committed to getting each one of us from here to that day. And he always completes what he starts. J.R. Tolkien fought in World War I after uh, the struggles that he faced and the, the great loss. He uh, became an author, and in one of his books, in The Lord of the Rings, the book, not the film, he describes a setting where Pippin is in a city, and uh, he's going to be besieged by his enemies, and death is absolutely certain. He's going to die. These horrible armies are coming towards him. And then at the very last moment, there is a horn. Now, a horn blows, and the riders of Rohan come over the hillside. And uh, Tolkien wrote down to say, whenever Pippin hears a horn, his memory goes back to the knights and to the riders. Many of them died. They break the siege, and they save the people. But for the rest of his life, whenever Pippin heard a horn, his mind went back to that day. And he remembered his liberation. He remembered his salvation. 
his heart, no matter how he felt, no matter how grumpy he was, his heart would be full of gratitude because that horn, in that moment, through his ear, he relived his salvation. It connected him to the past. He remembered the sacrifices of so many. And it changed his moment. It changed his life. It was a, a moment of deep grace and an act of remembrance. Here's a poppy on my chest. It's Remembrance Sunday. And this poppy is a, is a horn to the past. It's a distant event on a far shore because of the uh, selfless acts of so many people. We can sit here and enjoy freedom. And this table, as we turn to it shortly, is, is like a horn going again in the distance that everybody can hear. But there's also something for you to taste. There's also something for you to see. And it's a 3D representation of the gospel that you can trust in Jesus today before he returns in justice and righteousness. It's a horn that turns our attention to the one who died for the sins of the world that we can trust our lives with by faith. And every day is a gift of grace from the king of the universe. That's what this simple table does. It connects you to the past, connects you to God, to a community, and it connects you through Jesus to the future and to a forever family. And so we need to remember the gospel or perhaps even understand it for the first time. And Jesus says, and Paul writes, take and eat. Let's pray.